Hi everyone, I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community. And more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. Today, I am so excited to welcome Carlin Purcell. Carlin is the CEO of KDPM Consulting Group and a certified emotional intelligence and neural life coach with a focus on equity, inclusion, and belonging. When we look at history and we look at research, Black women, Indigenous women, and women of color have been historically marginalized. I decided to, to really focus on the systemic side of things, just having a braver conversation around what really is getting in the way of, of the success of not just women in general, but specifically women of color. Carlin is also the founder of Sister Talk Group Leadership and Wellness Academy, designed to help women optimize their potential and emotional well-being. Shame has one narrative, one, you know, track record and it says you are not good enough period when we own our stories we get to write a brave new ending and and the owning of my story was the beginning of my healing because i took charge of the pen i decided how i was going to deal with my shame carlin says our purpose is always walking right beside us and for her the seed of the idea and the inspiration for kdpm was always there but it wasn't until she saw what was possible if we created a better world where everyone could thrive did she jump in. So after 20 years in the financial industry, Carlin decided to dedicate her career to helping companies identify problem areas that she calls elephant stories. An elephant story is a story that is rooted in shame or in fear or in guilt, a very uncomfortable emotion. And sometimes we tend to think that it's, you know, the big events that hold us back, but it's the tiny little stories we tell ourselves along the way. This is what defines us. This is what decides how we show up on the journey, how we show up in the middle of the conversation with our boss, with our partners, with our family. This defines who we allow in our lives, how we allow people to talk to us. I'm so excited to welcome Carlin. Thank you so much again for joining me today. I am such an admirer of you. Oh, thank you. So to dive in, Carlin, you are a certified emotional intelligence coach, neuro leadership coach, and CEO of KDPM Consulting Group, whose platform is to end systemic discrimination and improve workplaces for women of color. Can we open up the conversation talking about how you started KDPM? <laughs> I often say that KDPM chose me. Uh, sometimes we we tend to question or go on this quest of finding our purpose. And one of the things that I have learned um, actually walking into my purpose is that our purpose is always walking right beside us. And KDPM was always right there beside me or inside of me or around me, but I wasn't fully ready for it until at that moment. So 
my my life journey and my living fully in, in, in this world and my experiences and, and, and also seeing what could be possible if we created a better world for where everyone can thrive. Um, that's really behind or why or how I created KDPM. Um, it wasn't, you know, in my, 50, my, 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 my 20s or my 30s, I sat there and I say, hey, I want to start a company. Entrepreneurship was, wasn't on my mind um, at all growing up. But over the years, um, life introduced me to ent entrepreneurship. So I often say it chose me. I'm an accidental entrepreneur. And um, the work that I do is informed by not just my lived experiences, but also the amazing and incredible people that have met on this journey. You have a very powerful quote, and I'm going to read it. For many Black women and women of color, living and leading their lives at work comes from a systemically influenced emotional tax and fatigue. This is further compounded by race and gender, supported by systemic and structural forms of racism, sexism, and other forms of intersecting identities. This is what we call the third bind in leadership. That kind of systemic discrimination is faced at all levels by many leaders of color impacting their economic equity, psychological well-being with potential long-term impact on their career journey. This is a very powerful quote by you that you lead your website with. Why did you choose to lead your website with this specific quote? <sighs> Where, where do I start? Um, I decided to, to really center and focus on um, the systemic side of things because um, when we look at history and we look at research, um, Black women, Indigenous women, and women of color have been historically marginalized, um, not just through the lens of systemic racism, but also through the lens of um, just having a braver conversation around what really is getting in the way of, of the success of not just w women in general, but specifically women of color. So, so for me, centering that was extremely important because if we don't really address the elephant in the room, and if we're talking about, for example, gender equity, or we're talking about women empowerment, without the pre-qualifier, we're talking about white women. And when we don't put that qualify in place, a lot of the stats and the research and also the lived experiences of women of color, it's not always at the forefront. And, and, and women of color often thought of as an aside color, or we talk about them like, a, like you know, in brackets. And we're not brackets, we're full human beings, mm -hmm. as much as history might try to tell us that yes. we are not. And I often, even when I talk about white women, and I say that where I remind folks that I'm not pointing my finger at you, the white woman, and blaming you. I'm talking about the white woman culture. I'm talking about, you know, white culture. I'm talking about, you know, patriarchy. And I'm talking about the fight that all of us women are in together because we're fighting the system of patriarchy. And within that system, we also have racism. And we also have, you know, other, what it's sexism and misogynoir. All of those things, we're fighting them together. But I really wanted to focus on, you know, women of color, because if we don't bring that focus, then it means we're glossing over and we're not really focusing on the systemic barriers that uniquely impact women of color. 
And now, what is the third bind? When we talk about women or gender equity, there is the danger, and sometimes it's not always conscious, but there is the danger of focusing only on that single story or that single identifier, right? And usually that's gender. Mm-hmm. And when we say gender, we, we usually don't include non-binary. We don't talk about, you know, for example, you know, if right. we're talking about just gender, yes, the assumption is white women. But um, what about, you know, white trans women or white women with disabilities? And this is why for us, when I talk about our intersectional gender strategy or gender equity strategy, even for myself, from a brain-based perspective, is also to train myself to not default to my inherited bias of seeing the world through only my lens. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Black woman, I'm straight, but my story isn't the only story. So I actually use the acronym GRACE to remind myself so I can check against my own inherited biases, but also to remind the world that when we're, if we don't change language, because language is very powerful, language influences us, it can drive our emotion and vice versa. So with using the word, the language GRACE, GRACE helps us to remember that begin with gender, but it's important to end with equity. GRACE stands for you have gender, we have race, we have ability, ageism. C stands for uh, a class. Uh, classism, um, also cultures of patriarchy, cultures of white culture, culture of the white gaze, or, or cultures of, 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 of you know, um, misogyny and misogynoir. I, I think it's so important for us to broaden our language, our scope through language when we're talking about, about you know, that approach, because then that helps us to bring more along with us. Because we're not on this journey together and we're actually are each other's keeper. And if we want to exist or coexist in a world, you know, a good world or a better world, we, we have to look out for each other. Because what if I'm the last of my race and I'm gone? Who will continue the work when I'm done? If I'm not bringing others along with me, if I'm not collaborating with others, then it means that I myself am part of the problem and I'm part of the bottleneck in terms of the advancement of, 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 of gender equity through the lens of intersectionality. Yes. And, you know, I'm curious, how did you first start to gain this type of knowledge? Were you always well-versed and educated on this topic? Or did you find it through your transitions from Bay Street into the entrepreneurial world? And it's important to pass it along to others so other people can have it as well, because sometimes we don't always have that exposure right at our fingertips. But- it's, you're right. And it's, uh, it's a, uh, and I love the, you know, you use the word transition because that's what it is. We're always transitioning from one version of ourselves to the other. And when we, and when we do that, we are introduced to our higher self or, you know, some people call it, you know, your enlightened self or your empowered self. You just get more access to understanding self better. And with that understanding mm-hmm. uh, comes with more clarity on how you're going to use your purpose, which is a combination of your skills, your competencies, your talent, your gifts, and also the privilege that you have been given in terms of your choice of, of that medium of your work. Like, for example, with you doing this podcast, uh, you're able to influence and impact the lives of so many people. So you, you, you're actually, you know, putting your purpose out that way. So for me, it came on my journey, but I, I often say that my inner warrior, even if I didn't have the language for it back then, um, kicked in from my childhood. Um, I, mm-hmm. Having your childhood taken away from you, and, 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 and that is one, I call it my elephant story. Um, an elephant story is a story that is rooted in shame or in fear or in guilt, a very uncomfortable emotion that keeps us rooted and more loyal to our past. That force that that actually 
they you know have us questioning our worth and who we are and why we're on this earth and for me you know being a survivor of child sexual abuse that right to dream big and know what it's it's, it's like to have a childhood where my biggest concern was I don't know, am I going to get to play with a doll or am I going to, you know, what's for lunch tomorrow? It had to be replaced with how can I keep myself safe? How do I fight for Carlin? So I think the language, I evolved in the language as I got older, but I think that fire, because my right to a healthy, loving, free childhood was taken away from me. I think I begin fighting from since then um, for my space, for my safety. And over the years, um, to your point, especially, you know, when I worked with the uh, UNICEF um, TARCO, the Caribbean office, to raise awareness on violence and against women and children in the Caribbean, um, that really gave me more language. So at different points in my life, I had very pivotal moments, like that was one of them, working with the Toronto Police Service as well here in Toronto to create the first survivor public service announcement was another one. Um, the more I understood how and why things happened for me, I was able to gain the clarity. And that led me to not just compassion, but also courage for me to take the right next step. I guess you can say if I had to look at my path, I had a lot of those pivotal moments, another one being on Oprah. Um, and, and that just led to a series yes. of different events. So I guess, yeah, being present in your life can no matter how painful the, the experience is, and can it probably is the best life coach that you can have in your back pocket. Wow, that's beautiful. I'd love to talk more about your childhood and your life before Canada. You were born in St. Lucia and you lived there until you were 25. And I saw on your Instagram that you were recently home and you went through a box of old pictures and you talk about oh. the little girl in the yellow dress and you opened up to your community and you shared about your life experiences and also that you were afraid of not being enough and you might have struggled with self-worth who is the girl in the yellow dress to you hmm. oh, you definitely did your homework um, <laughs> i love that thank you the little girl in the yellow dress is the little girl who believes in things that anything is possible and um, my sister actually jermaine always used to say oh my god the little girl in the yellow dress i you know like she she always talked about her in such high terms and in such reverence like you know she can do anything she wants to do she's so beautiful she's so powerful and as much as i didn't always see it or feel it over the years i started advocating for the little girl in the yellow dress because i started seeing not just the darkness um that her you know her childhood experience brought but i started seeing who she is outside the story of being a survivor of, you know, you know, child sexual abuse, bullying in school, you know, all those horrible elephant stories a lot of us women have been through. Um, I started seeing her outside of that. And this is why today I'm such a big, you know, advocate for women dreaming bigger, dreaming bigger beyond the experiences we've been through, beyond mm -hmm. the systems of patriarchy and, you know, racism and all the other things that that have been imposed on us because Without the vision of who you can be outside of your experiences, we become slaves to our past and slaves to our history. Yes. And we end up becoming 
it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We end up becoming that thing that we hate or that thing that we are shameful and fearful about. And we end up living our lives that way. We end up subscribing to the belief that we are not enough. So yeah, those feelings of not feeling worthy. Um, I lived a lot of my teenage years believing that and thinking that I am not good enough because of what I have been through. So the little girl in the yellow dress, she's, she's, she's like that, that hope. She's like that, that beautiful warrior. She's like yeah. the little girl who can dream, who dares to dream and who will continue to dream because she knows that she is enough. That's beautiful. <laughs> can we talk about your experience with abuse? You know, you talk as well about how you blamed yourself, how you worked through that trauma. Yeah, it's, it's. And that's the thing about healing. It's it's not linear. It's it's such a messy, unpredictable journey. So every time I share, you know, my my journey or my story, I always remind folks that wherever they are on the journey, it's okay because your healing is an inside job. It's not something anyone can give you or direct you on. But we are we can be inspired when we hear other people's stories. You cannot heal what you don't face. So for years, I did not own the story. I did not, because I was so ashamed and because I blamed myself, I hid behind the story and I never really talked about it. And honestly, my healing journey began when I started owning my own truth. And my virtual mentor, Brené Brown, mm -hmm. she has this quote that she talks about in terms of owning your story. Um, and, and she's, I call her my virtual mentor. Anybody who, who follows me, you know um, how much I love Brené Brown. Yes. I call her my bestie, my vulnerability bestie. <laughs> yes, I actually saw you talking about her and your back and forth. Yes, on Instagram. After living my life, blaming myself and actually seeing the impact of what, what's on the other side of the decisions you make, when you're emboldened in fear and shame, the decisions on the other side of that will be rooted in fear and shame. So you end up in the cycle of unworthiness or making decisions that, that are, you know, below your full potential. And it's not truly worthy of who you are, but that is the only way you know how to operate. So, and Brene Brown, you know, she says, when we deny our stories, it, it defines us, right? And when we can own, when we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending and, and the owning of my story was the beginning of my healing mm -hmm. because I took charge of the pen. I decided how I was going to deal with my shame because shame has one narrative, one, you know, track record. And it says you are not good enough, period. For mm -hmm. whatever it is, whether it's for love, whether it's for that yeah. job, whether it's for setting boundaries in your life. And sometimes we tend to think that it's, you know, the big events that hold us back but it's the tiny little stories we tell ourselves along the way this is what defines us this is what decides how we show up on the journey how we show up in the middle of the conversation with our boss with our partners with our family this defines who we allow in our lives how we allow people to talk to us so it's, it's really about the tiny little stories along the way and when I was able to be brave enough to to begin owning that story um, because I did see the impact of that of the elephant story on my leadership style on my leadership capabilities and also my career in general because I was so afraid to raise my hand and say that I wanted more I deserved more 
even when I negotiated my, my pay at work, um, that little voice, and I, and I named my gremlin because it really helped me to differentiate between her voice and my voice. Her name um, um, is Carla. So I was able to look at Carla and, wow. you know, when, when she came up, anytime I raised my hand for more, she came up and she said, oh, you know, good enough. Oh, people will, you know, and, and will know your story. Who do you think you are? How dare you? You should be satisfied with where you are. And, mm. and these are the stories that are reinforced through the systems of patriarchy and racism and white supremacy. And if we're not mm. careful, we take on the stories and we make it our own. And, and if you look at culture and society today, we have a culture of shaming women. You know, a man violated me in my space, but society is still saying, shh, don't talk about it. It's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? So it's when you look at it, like you take a step yeah. back and you look at it, you're like, this is crazy. Women are putting, we put in ourselves crazy. through so much additional pain yes. because of those systems. So again, going through the healing and, um, and, and my healing, it, again, it looked so different. I got to the place of forgiveness by going on the journey. And actually, um, one of the, again, being present in my life, I did a talk for a young um, a group of young Black girls, and I was talking about self-love and the importance of self-love and how this is the foundation for everything I do. Because I get the question, Carlin, you're so confident. How did you get there? I'm like, I wasn't always confident. <laughs> I didn't always believe in myself. Right. I didn't always think I was beautiful. I actually blamed myself, my looks, my body for literally betraying me because I thought it was because of what I look or I did something that this happened to me. And this little girl came up to me after and she said that, you know, how, how, how did you get that? I, I want to be able to forgive myself. But she's like, it's not for me, it's for a friend. But I could, I could see it. I felt her pain. And I remember taking a step back and I said, I have to do more with my impact and my story. Yes, I have the privilege of now telling my story. I'm not no longer emboldened in the pain. I can tell my story from a place of confidence and from a place of healing. But what about those who now hear my story? How can I share a bit of my journey with them? And this is when I wrote the 21 Days of Self-Love. And that was the first program I actually put out. Again, I had no plans on, on creating a self-love program, but again, being present in my life and the opportunities in my life led me there. And in the 21 days of self-love, the very first day is about who you are. And it's not about your title. It's not about what you've accomplished, what degrees you have and your job title and how much money you have. But it's really about facing yourself naked in the mirror and asking yourself, who are you? And when you are gone, what do you want people to say in terms of how you made them feel? And this 21 days of self-love became, you know, a catalyst for helping women wherever they are on the journey, whatever this elephant story they're struggling with, really helped them to, to take ownership and to leverage that as a way to create and to write a brave new ending of their own stories. Wow. Well, you have not only rebuilt from this, but you have gone on to inspire women around you, including that young woman. Do you think that younger Carlin would be proud? <laughs> of course she yeah. would be proud yeah um, younger Carlin would be proud and uh, what I would say to her is is that no matter how tough things get no matter how shaky her voice gets no matter how unqualified she feels sometimes that she will be okay um, she will find that source mm -hmm. of strength that well of strength yes. within herself and she will always keep it because she has fully understood what it means to stand fully in her power. 
So, and her power source is from within. So she will always feel her well because she now fully understands why she had to go through what she went through. Wow, that is incredibly powerful. You had talked about accepting your past. Sometimes we've had our own experiences or we've even made mistakes that we wish we could take back. How do you think we can accept our past and remove any feelings of guilt? Oh, such a juicy question. So the first thing, it, it, it's hard. <laughs> it is. And you're right. It's a question that, that comes up a lot. And I think that's why I got fascinated by um, emotional intelligence and emotions, basically, and becoming an emotion mm. scientist, because I was trying to get rid of shame my whole life. <laughs> like, so you asking, how do we get rid of guilt? We cannot get rid of guilt. We're human beings. We're not a robot. Denying ourselves, uh, you know, the, the gift of feeling and exploring our emotions, it's taking away the being part of the human being experience. Because guilt, shame, fear, these are just emotions. They're unpleasant, right? Because we haven't given ourselves permission to build our our awareness and our intelligence around our emotional data, right? So we try to get rid of it as opposed to asking, what is this data trying to tell me? What, why is this data here? And again, data, emotional data doesn't show up if you're not strong enough to deal with it. And we will get multiple opportunities to practice if this is an emotion that the universe or your guides are guiding you towards, right? So, so the first thing I would say is that don't try to get rid of guilt. Just remind yourself that you're a human being having a human experience. So guilt is a part of the process. What I would invite others now to understand is to try to figure out what is my guilt behavior, because guilt, emotions, it, they, 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 they provide us information, but for a lot of us, we use that as a directive to act. So I would say the first thing is to first understand your relationship with guilt. Guilt is data. When, you, when it comes up, what do you do? Do you, do you put your head in the sand and hide? Um, is your inner yeah. gremlin self-talk tape? So my Carla tape with you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? No one will listen to you. What is the self-talk tape of your guilt talk? And what is that physical action? And, and the acronym that we use, and I use a lot of acronyms in my training and my teachings because you know the brain loves those bite-sized information. I invite people to always identify what is, what is the T of your emotions. So get to the root of your emotion T. And T stands for what are the thoughts? What's the energy, the emotion? So if it's guilt, what does guilt feel like in your body? Because emotion is a bodily sensation. And the last one, TA stands for attitude and action. So what is the attitude? Is your posture changing? Do you try to minimize yourself and make yourself feel small? Uh, how do you write out your emails when you're in your guilt you know, wave, when you're writing that emotional wave? So that is the first. And just by doing that, not only do we increase our awareness around our actions and our behavior, but we're also able to increase the intelligence around our emotions. So this is, where, this is where the whole concept of emotional intelligence comes in, because you now understand the behavior of your shame data, your guilt data, your fear data, your love data, your joy data, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say that's, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, once you've identified what your emotions T is, your guilt T is, then identify what are the behaviors that's getting in the way of my purpose or my intended goals or outcome. 
Um, and you need a vision for your life because if not, the brain will always go back to the past because that's what it knows, right? Because the future is not yet created. We are supposed to create the future. We are co-creators of our, of, of our purpose. Um, yes, our, in, our, our, our experiences will, will inform it, right? It will get us to a certain point. Like I, I was sharing with you, a lot of the things that happen, you know, working with UNICEF, you know, working with um, Toronto Police Service, getting on Oprah, meeting Brené Brown and all of that, I didn't have a plan for it. But as I healed and I was more aware of how I am, the brave new ending I wanted to write got clearer and clearer. And I'm still writing this brave new ending. It's still going on. When you were on Oprah, that must have been a basket of mixed emotions. Here you are, you know, with a very large audience on a very well-respected network, but you had to relive it all. And watching um, your interview, it was emotional because I think this was one of the first times you were opening up about your experience, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Can you take us back to, you know, how that felt and just that transition between scared Carlin going into this mm-hmm. amazing opportunity to touch people, but also to relive your experience, which is so scary. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's and, and it was a wave of emotions. So I the most um, yeah. frequent emotions that came up, um, not necessarily shame per se. Um, I had shifted because I had I had cultivated enough shame resilience that allowed me to continue to tell my story and even just reaching out to when I had put out the question to, you know, I was at that place, that commitment of I'm ready to tell my story, I'm ready to own my story, I'm ready to write my brave new ending. Um, I asked the universe, I asked my guides, okay, how do you want me to tell that story? Um, where do you want me to go with it? What would you like me to do? And then an email came a couple of days later talking about Oprah <laughs> on Own Canada. They're doing this show. If you have a secret, something you've always wanted to share, but you don't know what to do with it. And I was, and I remember, I kid you not, I was yes. in my office. I had a corner office on Bay Street because I was still working at the bank. I looked outside and I looked up to the city and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I did not mean that. I meant maybe a small article maybe I'll share it on, you know, right? Because when you put the call out, and and I'm a big believer in um, allowing the universe to guide you. And and we're all here for a very specific purpose. This is why I encourage women through Sister Talk to own your elephant story, because on the other side of that, there's so much wisdom and courage and confidence and joy. And you will be more confident in your purpose as well and in, in terms of the level of how big your dreams will be so so back then when, when that happened um the shame resilience was there but i went full on in fear mode because um telling that story um when i t- i had never told the story before number one number two um vulnerability in the workplace is not something we talk about I couldn't bring all of Carlin to work. I couldn't bring the, the, the wisdom from cultivating that shame resilience to work. So then there was the fear of when I did send in the story, because when it came, I had to be obedient because I believe that it was, it, it was in alignment with my path. And then the email came and this producer said, We're, what would like to feature your story? You're selected. I was like, crap. I was like, no, thank you. Crap. Thank you. Crap. I went through that feeling of yeah. What are you doing? You shouldn't have done this. Why did you do this? Now what's going to happen? And then the biggest fear was around not my work colleagues will find out, but my family. That was the biggest, the biggest, biggest fear monster 
I had to overcome because I knew that the second it was out, I didn't mention any names and I don't need to mention any names. It's my story. But um, how will my family react? What will they say? Will people look at me differently? Will people think of me as a victim? Because at that time, I didn't see myself. I was in victim mode before, but I wasn't in a place of victimhood anymore. And that's why I call myself a warrior, a beautiful warrior, a powerful warrior. It was beautiful to watch. It was beautiful to watch. And I even, it really moved me, as I'm sure it's moved many people. But it was, um, it was really nice because I think we've all been in, mm-hmm. in different ways. We've mm-hmm. all felt similar things. I mean, I've struggled myself, you know, with yeah. different things too. So seeing someone like you open up and be vulnerable within this moment of transitions was, it was really empowering to see. Oh, no, thank you. you. I and just wanted to add that because you didn't seem victim at all. You were very strong and you just seemed um, honest and um, yeah, uh, yeah. Like you were growing, you know, like yeah. you were growing. And I'm so glad journey. that you mentioned that because, and I think you, I'm pretty sure you can relate as well. Like sometimes women, we, we take on, you know, the imposter syndrome moment and message of you cannot grow while you're healing. So you have to wait until you have this perfect ending and it's in a bow and, you know, and it's pretty. No, life is messy. It's not pretty and it's okay, yeah. right? So, so that fear moment, again, it was a wave. So again, um, understanding that also led me to cultivate that confidence and to, and I was able to lean on the wisdom of cultivating shame resilience, which also helped me to build on my confidence and my emotional intelligence to work through that other wave of fear. And that's the thing. The only way for us to get through that is for us to keep moving as far as to keep taking action and again keep taking action towards the dreams that you would like to see like what kind of world would you like to leave behind um you and i have gone through Mm -hmm. very painful things for a reason what are you going to do with that pain and that's not to say that you have to do something public like i did with mine that wisdom that guidance came to me but maybe you just sharing your elephant story with a friend, with a colleague, or saying that, hey, I struggle too, or I have mommy guilt, or I have whatever. Let's normalize. The number one thing that I would like for women to do collectively is not just increase our emotional clarity or emotional awareness, because intelligence, that will come. Intelligence will come. I'm not even on there yet. I just want us to be aware of how powerful our emotions are, but also how much power we have over our emotions because emotions are data it's not a directive to act and if we can get more women to understand that i think we'll have less of us spending time in shame ways and fear ways and bargaining with our past when we really should be co-creating our future with the amazing people we've been fortunate to meet along the journey of life i absolutely agree and i just want to say thank you for being so open with my questions before you made a change to the field that you're in now and applied your powerful strategies in your own life, you worked on Bay Street, which we just touched a little bit on, with a very demanding schedule experiencing discrimination and race gender bias firsthand. What happened and what was that moment when you knew you had to just make this change? Hmm. I think there are multiple moments where, you know, you know, you get those little nudges from life. I call them life nudges where life is like, yes. hi, Carlin, I'll send a pebble, just a small one. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay, yes. it hurt, but 
it's okay, right? So we ignore those pebbles. So I had multiple um, pebbles, but I think um, it, it, there were two significant moments. I, one where um, with my team, I and, and, and to be honest, I didn't have the language around, you know, microaggression or racial gaslighting. I mean, now we're doing workshops and I'm talking in corporate and we're talking about white supremacy yes. and systems of racialization. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm here and I'm alive for this. When just 10 years ago, we couldn't even say that in the office, in the workplace. Um, but as I was learning and unpacking and looking at the world through the lens of not my colonized mindset, but through my dream bigger mindset and reclaiming my wholeness, um, I started sharing some of the stories or I guess I called them lunch and grow at the time. And other folks, you know, used to attend and they're like, oh my gosh, you really helped me, you know, get through. I was having this really tough situation with my boss. So I was struggling, you know, um, with, with this team over here on this new project and seeing how people were taking some of the tools that we were discussing and applied in their lives. That was one thing that really sparked my interest and go, oh, I didn't realize that there was a joy bubble over here with that work. And then the second one was, yeah, fa facing the blatant misogynoir and um, the blatant discrimination, um, uh, and 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 with 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 working in international banking, we also I I also supported Latin America and Central America, so we had a pretty huge project we had to work mm -hmm. on, and I had a very small team. But I think the the last thing, the camel, what what did you say? I I can't do analogies. I don't even know why I'm trying. But the thing that really <laughs> pushed me over the edge was we went through another reorg and um, a lot of the projects my team we were handling, um, they brought in a, a, a director um, um, for that um, role. And, you know, all along, you know, Carlin, you're great. We love you. You're great. You know, we really love your work and we have big plans for you. But, you know, like that guy who just keeps stringing you along saying how amazing you are, but he never takes you out on a date, mm -hmm. never buys your flowers. Like there's nothing behind it. Yeah. It took me a while to realize that, okay, so you're, gaslight like so where are we going with this and then when they brought in this new guy they gave him the director role because apparently they couldn't find any other place for that person in the bank and then a lot of our projects went to that person but then that person still wanted me to continue with the projects and I wasn't even reporting to that person anymore and that was when I was like you don't really appreciate all my black girl brilliance and magic I am not really valued here and it's painful yeah. because Rejection feels like physical pain. Rejection actually activates the part of the brain. It, it, yeah, physical pain. So that's why for some folks, you know, when you're rejected, it takes a while for you to recover from it. So that feeling that that rejection was really hard. But again, doing the work over the years, reclaiming my wholeness, building on the confidence, be, getting more clear on my purpose and my big dreams that I, the, the dreams and goals I want, the legacy I wanted to leave behind, that was bigger than my stories of shame and fear. So when that happened, that was another, this one wasn't a pebble. This one was a freaking huge rock. I was like, oh, Carlin, it's time for you to go. So I wrote my, I had yeah. already written my, my resignation letter, but it really became clear to me it was time for me to go. Um, and sometimes we tend to think of difficult experiences as, as, oh, something bad is happening to me. And I'm not saying that pain is fun, mm -hmm. But I think sometimes when things happen to nudge us out of our comfort zone, look at this as an opportunity to level up your dreams or to level up who you are and where you're going yes. and the legacy that you'd like to leave behind. So that really pushed me out of the door and I resigned, even though after 20 years, folks will like your pension, you should stay. It's, you've had a long run. <laughs> and when you, when you 
when you stay in places that you're no longer being fed, that kind of anorexia, oh, mm -hmm. man, it kills you. It takes away parts of your soul that you just can never get back because you know at this moment in time that you are the one who, who, who's holding you back. You are the one who's saying that I'm not good enough and I'm not worth the effort and the discomfort of changing my life. And to me, that is more painful than someone telling me that I'm not good enough because right now I've accepted this and I've made it a part of my belief system because my life is in accordance with that belief. And it's hard. It's hard. Wow. Absolutely. And and just listening and thinking about rejection. I mean, a lot of the time we hold ourselves back yeah. because of rejection, because of the fear of rejection. But what's the worst that can happen? Yep. You'll fall and you'll get up. Yeah. And, and not just that. Keep going. You'll understand what rejection pain looks like. And guess what? You're strong enough to deal with it. You are. Yes. You are. <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel empowered already. Okay. What exactly is emotional intelligence and how did you discover those fields? Oh my goodness. Because I was emotionally constipated for years. <laughs> like um, right. the only way I knew how to deal with my the pain of abuse and not having an outlet to speak about it, because also in the Caribbean mm -hmm. We, our culture is not a culture of therapy and talk about what's hurting you. Our culture is a culture of sweeping things under the rug. We have stuff to do. You have to be the strong black woman um, and, and tears or asking for help or talking about your feelings are not held in high value or high regard. Um, so that emotional constipation, suppressing my feelings, ignoring what I'm feeling, ignoring the pain, um, not even being able to speak, uh, saying I don't want to go to family events because that person might be there. You, you, I would get beat for that. You can't not not go to family events, right? So, so that had that informed my entire um, journey because I didn't even know the difference between joy and anxiety and you know shame and fear. Like it, it was just a huge basket of. Of, of, of emotions and but then I also learned as I because I was always very curious and I love reading so I read a lot and, and, and one of the things that I learned is that in, at the end of every experience what we create is an emotion and emotions are powerful we can use that to fuel up our passion and to really become the law of attraction but if I really couldn't understand my emotions then it means that I'm really setting myself up for failure so then I went on this you know rabbit whole of understanding emotions and emotions it's really emotional intelligence or some people call it emotional uh, you know quotient or eq it's really the ability to understand use and manage your emotions in a positive way to not only relieve stress but also to communicate effectively with self and with others it's all about relationship building at the center if i have to simplify emotional intelligence relationship building there were four domains and competencies. And, and, and that, that was my first actually training. I first trained with Daniel Goldman. He's, he's known as like the father of, of emotional intelligence. Um, the four parts of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness is how we interact with others and teams and, and you know communities. And the last is relationship management. Can you tell us about some of the programs that you offer or the courses that you offer through emotional intelligence and also about your sister talk circles at Millie, 
we really believe in the power of sharing stories to foster connection Mm -hmm. and self-empowerment. So I love this. Can you describe to us how people's lives change through getting vulnerable and being authentic? Oh, uh, such a great question. So through Sister Talk over the years, what we did was that, especially when I got to be a practitioner after my training, I realized that a lot of the women that I worked with, especially women of color, the emotional self-awareness piece, we all struggled on that. We all struggle because, again, the, the cultural piece heavily influenced that. So Sister Talk really created a forum, a space for us to share our stories, for us to talk about our elephant stories. So as much as we couldn't name the emotions, um, when we started sharing the stories um, in, in a safe space in Sister Talk, it happened at my house, about 10 to 15 women who used to show up every month and would, would break down different themes, like, you know, what is shame resilience? What is shame? Uh, what are elephant stories? Um, yeah, how do we tap into the power of, of, of personal narratives? And that led to women not just telling the stories, but at the end of every session, I, I always had a worksheet. I'm, I'm, I'm very action-oriented, solution-oriented. So there was always something yes. to apply to learning. And what we saw over the years was not just women having the ability and the confidence to own the stories, but going back to that relationship management piece, People healed, you know, relationships with, with, with the father, with the, with the, with the, the mom, learned, seeing the parents as human beings and understanding why they had an emotionally absent or an emotionally unavailable parent. Uh, so there were multiple, you know, um, benefits that people saw or they understood. I've had people who attended Sister Talk say that, you know, your session really opened up my, my eyes on self-love and I realized that that guy I'm dating I'm actually settling. He is actually not worthy of me. And I'm, and I'm just afraid of being alone, right? I was afraid of the emotions of, 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 and, and what people would say about me at my age being alone. So multiple different benefits. Folks are, were able to just really walk away being more confident and owning the stories, no matter whether, where it's coming from. Wow. I'd also love to highlight your success planner. (laughs) I have my copy here with me and I'd love to read one of my favorite quotes. Listen with your heart, speak with your soul, ask for what you want, keep asking until you get it, always dream bigger, love deeply, live out loud, build it, own it, (laughs) be it. Notes from your future self. And I know, I mean, if only we had more time, you know, but um, for everyone listening, of course, continue following along with Carlin about notes from your future self, because I love that concept as well. But Mm -hmm. when this was just a thought in your head before it was a reality, what were you, what was going through your mind at that time? And what steps did you take to make this a reality? So it can Mm -hmm. affect many women like myself. People can go online and buy it and reach success with this planner. So the success one can be purchased by anyone. I mean, I wrote it, my, my, my avatar, it's women, because again, I wanted, so everything we talked about in terms of the emotional intelligence, self-awareness, building better relationships, how do I tap into my, my inner power, my inner warrior? I took all those concepts, the science behind positive psychology, the science of well-being, and I put everything together in one journal. So essentially, that's what it is. You're taking all, all of that, that neuroscience around um, um, well-being and, 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 and put it into action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, into action. I love mm-hmm. that. It's the into action. But also defining success. So the tagline for the planner is making time for what matters yes. the most. So I, I was talking again about waves and zones and also seasons. Like I said, I remember when I was in my shame season, my shame season decisions I made were riddled with shame. Mm. They weren't necessarily good for my future and and who I was becoming. And I allowed people and things in my life that 
didn't wasn't worthy of who I am, but I didn't know that back then. So the decisions I made in, in my shame zone, it's okay. You know, I forgive Carlin for that because she did her best and her best included those bad decisions. So, so, but when doing my work, I, I'll never forget, um, I think it was Tony Robbins. Um, he said that, you know, um, we all, everybody's doing all the self-help, doing all those books and whatnot, but what are you doing with it? Right. Um, if, if you don't apply it, uh, and I think he said, you know, unapplied, you know, wisdom is failure. And I remember thinking like, oh my yeah. goodness, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of those people who's like constantly, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, but what are you doing with all that knowledge? So then I yeah. said, you know what, it's time yeah. for me to take ownership. And also um, when we complain, we rewire our brain for negativity, right? What you repeat, the story you repeat, you prioritize. And the story you prioritize becomes your reality because you're living in that state more, right? So then... Understanding that, I took an Excel sheet, and I also wanted to manage my team better. Um, so it was an Excel sheet for years, actually, before it became a book. And um, I started using the concepts in there. I said, let's start off our team meetings at the beginning of the week. Let's talk about what we're grateful for. What is your must-deliver item for this week? But that item needs to connect to your end-of-year review, one of the pillars in your end-of-year review where you're actually advancing, you're actually creating change, and that will help you to get what is above, exceeds expectation, or whatever rating you're going for for this year. Again, dreaming bigger. The brain needs an anchor for it to work towards, like a target. If not, you're constantly competing with your past. Mm -hmm. Because the brain we also inherited, it also came with a lot of the fight, flight, or freeze mode. Because our ancestors, the number one thing the brain was supposed to do or they were supposed to do is to keep themselves safe, get food, bring it home, stay safe. So we inherited those same modalities, but we have also evolved. We no longer live where we have to go hunt for food in the forest, right? <laughs> we are now existing with people. So social awareness and relationship management becomes actually critical skills in surviving in, this, in today's world. So the planner became the place for me to manage. I mean, just us talking about it, who, like anybody can go crazy trying to figure out and, oh, how do I in my day-to-day -day become more emotionally intelligent or more self-aware? Like you have to come up with a system to help you do that. And because the brain is designed to work on systems, mm -hmm. the planner is also designed to follow that flow. So this is where we have gratitude center. We have a thrive wellness center. We have an action center. Like um, what are your goals for your family? Who, who will you be of service to this month? And to be quite honest, there are months where who to be of service to. Carlin was the number one person on that list. Because the season I'm in, I hmm. need some extra care and attention, or maybe I need some more, you know, um, accountability, whatever it is that's going on. So the planet is for, you know, anyone who's ready to dream bigger, who have been listening to the intuition, who really want to leverage the inner power to make a difference in this world before they are gone. I love mine. And it makes a great gift as well. Yeah. So I'm considering it really does. So I'm like, oh, I should get this for. And know. the other thing, the last thing, thank you so much. And the last thing I'll, I'll highlight for the planner also, when you look at it through the lens of how do we create a better world and invite equity in everything we do, especially for my white friends on the journey of becoming, you know, um, uh, better humans to so all humans in terms of becoming anti-racist, right? Um, every single month, mm -hmm. uh, there is a quote from a black or an indigenous or a queer or a person of color. So you also increase if you're in a space where everyone around you is white and you're on the journey and you're really trying to increase your visibility or interacting with people of color. And this is also a great place to start. 
because the quotes are actually, and you can follow those folks online as well. I'm always learning from them, um, especially as a practicing ally to the indigenous community, to the trans community. Um, I'm, I'm always, you know, being of the, the section, who can I be of service to, who can I network with? You can write little notes on there for whatever you are on your journey of Drew and Baker. Yes, I'm loving mine. And thank you for that. To wind down our chat, because I mean, I don't know, the hour's already gone. Happy belated, my fellow Pisces. Thank you. Yes, Pisces. Happy belated birthday. Um, You're calling this birthday the year of infinity, the year of possibility, and the year of continued uh, success to discover all ways you can love, Mm -hmm. dream, and exist. This is awesome. Um. Tell us about this year of, you know, infinite possibilities. This year of infinite possibilities is the year that I really take the limitations of Carlin and I dream bigger and I dream bigger in three different ways. Dream bigger with all my past selves at the table, um, because when we are still holding shame in certain parts of our lives, it means that we're also holding that version of ourselves back. And that version of ourselves also have wisdom. The second one is dreaming in community. Like who are the awesome women doing really incredible work that aligns with our vision and our mission who want to be a part and we can collaborate and probably even dream bigger. And the last one is dreaming bigger with in the, in the world, like globally. Um, we look at, we saw the shift to virtual uh, remote work and being more virtual. Now it means that um, we have shortened, you know, the, the bridge in terms of connecting with our friends and, and colleagues in, in other countries. Um, so what does that look like? So I've been dreaming bigger my infinity year. I've been asking myself, um, what would that look like if I bring all those pieces together, if I dream bigger in, in, in that framing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that has resulted in some incredible projects. We have so many great projects that are coming out shortly. We'll be announcing in, in, in about a month or so. Um, and, and, and for me, it's, it's really taking the limitations of myself and going into the dream candy store and saying, what's possible? Like, what's possible? Can we make this world, can we live this world better than we found it for women and girls and children? And I think we can. So that's what I'm really excited about. I think so too. So lastly, one of the key messages that we want women to take away from this podcast is that they can break from expectation to be who they are and who they want to be. How do you think we should approach the next chapter of our lives, especially navigating this COVID world? And how do we know when we're doing the right thing? Yes, intuition. So when you get your planner, you will get a Dream Bigger bookmark. And on the Dream Bigger bookmark, actually one of my favorite books, and if you know anyone listening, you haven't read this book, pick up Women Who Run With Wolves by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And one of the quotes that I'm guided by, and I love it so much, that's why I have it on, on the bookmark. It says, practice listening to your intuition, your inner voice, ask questions, mm-hmm. be curious, see what you see, hear what you hear, and then act upon what you know to be true. This intuitive powers were given to your soul at birth. So operate from that place and acting upon what you know to be true in this season, honor that. I think what we tend to do is that we tend to try to think of the whole journey and we tend to look at what is the impact of that decision all the way down. No, focus on the present moment. So become more familiar with your in-between, the space between I'm living my conditioned self, 
the version of Carlin I was today and I'm about to go into the higher self, which means that you have to dream bigger and take action on that dream in order for you to actually step into that new version of yourself. So, so that's one thing. Um, and then the second thing that I would say is that, and it's something that we'll dive in deeper in our, we actually have a imposter syndrome moment assessment coming so women can identify their moments. I dislike it. I don't want to use the word hate, but I strongly dislike it mm -hmm. when women say that they have imposter syndrome. Your subconscious is always yeah. is dropping on you. Be careful how you talk about yourself to yourself. You're not an imposter. You have every right to be here. And I think when we say that, we distort our relationship with belonging and taking up space and taking up a lot of space. And, and we unconsciously minimize ourselves. So the second thing that I would say is to be careful, watch your, your self-talk, your self-track language. Name, be aware of your inner critic. The inner critic, the inner gremlin, like I said, I call mine Carla. Name oh. yours so that, yeah, name her. Because when she comes, mine. you know, because I know when Carla's coming, I'm like, Carla, what's up? You're hungry? Yeah. You need a hug? Like, what's going right. on? Or we can sit and have a pity party if that's what you need today. That's fine. Right? So I try to meet her where she is because I know she's got some information. But sometimes she's just throwing a tantrum because mm. she needs attention. I like and that. the last thing that I would say, which is, and that's why I'm so excited to do the training and to bring more women along because we need to get this information out. So what I have found in my research and, and, and just spending so much time helping other women tell the elephant stories is that we tend to forget to define our inner role before we engage with the outer world. And by that, I mean, when I decide to show up in the world, so let's say um, I'm about to go and facilitate and, and, and teach a session on anti-racism. I have to decide how I want to show up as Carlin or who's the Carlin that's showing up. So let's say today I, I, I woke up, mm. I'm a little bit tired because yesterday was a long day um, or, or, you know, there's just a lot going on. I cannot bring 100% fiery Carlin. I have to decide how do I want to engage? What boundaries mm. do I need for today? How much space do I need in between my meetings so that I can have a breather? And if I cannot afford that, which of my self-care tools can I go to? Is it a short song, song? Do I light a candle? Do I light some incense? Do I use some of my oils, my doTERRA oils to activate my senses? So it's, it's, it's about being in ceremony with self. I want more women to spend more time in ceremony with self, spend more time meeting yourself where you are, spend more time understanding what is the inner role that I want to define because when we come from a place of our inner role, then when the world comes to us and say, hey, Carlin, I want you to take on this role of, let's say, vice president of, of X within an organization. I am not becoming the vice president and discarding parts of myself. I am coming in with the role that I want. So that includes my dreams, my legacy, my values, my ancestral wisdom, my guides. And then I will look at the requirements of that role and then I will decide how I want. So that means I'm stepping into the role with my authentic self versus vice versa. It absolutely makes sense, more than makes sense. You know, I just want you to know how thankful uh, me and my team are for you opening up to me and the Millie podcast and, and being our guest. Thank you. I can't thank you enough sincerely uh, thank you so much for having me it was it was great chatting with you and i love having you know those conversations and i thank you for honoring the flow and you're a great interviewer because that's to me 
someone who's who's awesome at what they do they're able to also flow with what the energy and what the guys are inspiring us to do and say and this is a huge part of following your inner intuition and being obedient to your very own inner power so thank you and thanks for having me thank you i really appreciate that thank you for joining me for this motivating and illuminating conversation with carlin persil follow carlin on instagram and visit her website www.carlynpersil.com to sign up for valuable resources and find out more about her corporate workshops and courses. And please join me next time for an interview with Dame Elizabeth Anianwu, DBE, Emeritus Professor of Nursing at the University of West London and UK's first sickle cell and thalassemia nurse specialist. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends, and visit us at millie.ca.